Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. So we're continuing our series on the Beatitudes today. Last week we had Emily Francis with us from C3 College. She um, brought a word on transformation, which was great. Um, But we've been in our blessed series. And we're looking at the way of the Christian life that brings supreme blessing and the spiritual prosperity that is available to us as followers of Christ. And who doesn't want to live a blessed life? I do. So if you weren't here for Pastor Mel's last couple of messages, really encourage you to jump online because she brings such practical wisdom in each message about how it is that we can take hold of a kingdom perspective and step into that place of blessing. So they're up online, have a look. She took us through the first five Beatitudes and today the journey is going to continue into the next two. So let's launch off. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We start with what is, I believe, one of the central principles of the Christian life. And that is that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Over and above anything else, our hearts are the place of significance in our spiritual lives. It is the seat and the seed of our thought, of our desires, of our motives, and of our actions. It is who we are and what we are in the deep private recesses. Proverbs tells us that all things of life flow from the heart. So when Jesus shared the Sermon on the Mount, he was initially talking to a group of people and to a culture that placed all importance on outward appearance, on being seen to be right and good through acts of ceremonial cleansing. And in this beatitude, as with all of them, Jesus is turning the thinking of the day on its head. Even as Christians today, we can focus far more on what is seen externally and neglect to deal with what's going on in our hearts. Yet that's what matters to God. 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is of such significance that in this beatitude, Jesus directly links the state of our hearts to our ability to see God. And since our relationship with God starts here on earth and extends into eternity, I believe Jesus is speaking to our ability to to see God both in that glorious moment when we cross into heaven, we meet him face to face. It's going to be glorious. But also to see God, to know him to conceive of, apprehend, comprehend who he is to the limits of what is possible here on earth. Because on earth as it is in heaven, it is all about relationship and unhindered relationship with him. We were created for it and it is the place of supreme blessing for every believer. And the key is a pure heart. So we often talk about purity as cleanness especially sexual or moral cleanness, and this is true. Matthew 15 says, But what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. We can add to that list offence, pride, greed, self-will, discontent, envy, anything that does not align with God's character or opposes his desire. But you can also think about biblical purity as being undivided in our devotion to God, single-minded and wholehearted in following him. James 4, you adulterers, he's talking to the impure of heart right now, don't you realise that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So together, purity of heart is to pursue God's truth and God's value in all that we are and all that we do. But we all fall short, constantly. But before you bow out of the faith race, because it just seems all too impossible, the good news is that he empowers us and he's made a way. So my mind asks, why Why would he make a way? Well, if a pure heart enables us to see God and to know God, then the opposite must also be true. Impurity of heart blocks our ability to see God and to know God. And this is what is crucial. Impurity, sin, it separates us from God. It's the reason the enemy is determined to keep us in sin. And it's the reason that God is on a mission to remove anything that is in us, that blocks us from him. The Bible tells us apart from God, we can do nothing. So Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 1 John 3, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now I wear glasses every day, except right now because I've printed my notes really, really big because I don't want to, I didn't want to. But over the course of days, if you wear glasses, you know the process. Over the course of days, they gather all sorts of muck and they become a little bit, you know, filthy over time. And my husband does not understand how I can continue to wear my glasses covered in all sorts of whatever they're covered in, you know, fingerprints and muck and jam because when you've got small kids, there's jam on everything. (laughs) And when you don't feed them jam, there's jam on everything. And the reality is, I do find those lenses distracting. I struggle to see at times what is right in front of my face. But I've gotten used to the grime and I've adjusted the way that I look out of them so that I no longer see what is directly impeding my vision. And we can do the same with our hearts. Over time, as we move through life, we accumulate grime. And if we're not vigilant to do something about it, we will adjust our vision and view everything through impurities. We just won't see clearly. 
See, these days if I ask William to pass me my glasses, I don't get them for a couple of minutes because he automatically picks them up and gives them a bit of a clean, he's a good man, gives them a bit of a clean, hands them to me. I think that's more for his benefit than mine that he cleans them. Hands them to me and I put them on and it's, whoa, the world <laughs> looks different. Never realised how good looking he was until I put them on. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> but it helps remind me. Remember, it's all about an unconstrained, unimpeded relationship with God. You were created for it. He loves you too much to be separated from you. And he's on that mission to remove whatever is in your heart that is blocking your relationship with him and blocking you knowing him for who he truly is. See, from the beginning of creation and since sin entered the world and separated us from God, everything he has done, everything he has done has been about making it possible for us to step back into relationship with him again. So how do we pursue a purity of heart? Well, the first step is that we invite God into our hearts to be our Lord and to receive that gift of salvation that he offers. See, Jesus' death was the ultimate act to bring us back into relationship with God. It's faith in him that begins a work in our hearts. I absolutely love seeing God take people on life-transforming journeys. I love it. A few weeks ago, I was chatting with a young woman and um, she, she came to Christ about two years or so ago. And she sat in front of me just with just the brightest eyes as she recounted to me this journey that she'd been on over the past few years of what God had been doing in her heart. Now when she, before she started following God, she didn't believe that she could because she couldn't quite understand why God wouldn't allow things or accept certain things in this life or why he would allow things in this life. She was wrestling with some big questions. But she opened up her heart to him and over the last two years, he has revealed himself to her as a loving God, as a kind God, and he's changed the way that she sees the world by helping her understand his heart. So Acts 15, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. If you're here today and you've never opened your heart to God, you've never received that gift, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. It is the most important thing that we will ever do in life. But secondly, we have to allow God to reveal the state of our hearts. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Not long after I came here on, on to team here at church, I went through a really intense time of anxiety. And it impacted everything. It impacted my relationships, my confidence, how I functioned here, what I could do and what God could do through me. I was seeing everything through a lens of, of fear. And I thought God had made a mistake in putting me here. I really didn't want to be here. I wanted to run as far away as I could possibly be. And I had to get honest with God. I had to ask him to show me what it was that was at the heart of it. You know, was it spiritual oppression? Was it really a, a wrong fit for me? Or was there something in me that needed to change or shift? And do you know what he showed me? He showed me lots of things, really, because I'm a gloriously complex person. 
cheer for all of you out there. <laughs> but in the mix, there was pride, there was comparison happening, there was unresolved hurt, and there was distrust. And when it went, everything changed. Everything. You see, we have to get honest with God and let him show us what is in us. And then finally, we have to deal with what is in our hearts and refuse to hold on to anything that corrupts or divides us. We have to seek to have it removed, healed, freed from its influence and make it a continued practice through our lives to do that. Because after God had revealed to me what was going on in my heart's way back then, I had to let him fix it. I couldn't just sit in it. I had to repent and relinquish my pride. I had to search out his truth in the word so he could correct my thinking. And I had to go on a healing journey with him. And in it, I saw him differently. I no longer believed he'd made a mistake. I could trust him. I could trust the call. I could trust what he'd put in me. And I was free to do exactly what he'd intended from the beginning, just without a whole bunch of muck in the way. See, none of us can make our own hearts pure. None of us. Jesus was the one who made it possible. The Bible tells us that he overcame sin. And in him we too are overcomers. He's the bridge back to purity and to open relationship with God. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. We're all in the same boat. God starts at the centre of who we are and he cleans up our lives as we trust and we believe in him. When every blockage is removed, when the grime has been cleared away, we get to see him and to know him and to experience him for who he truly is. How glorious is that? It's the place of supreme blessing. And our next beatitude captures this quite beautifully. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Who here resembles their parents? I do. I am the female version of my earthly father. He is obviously a very good looking man. <laughs> or have you ever opened your mouth and thought, oh my goodness, I sound just like my mother? For some of you, that's a really good thing, but for others, not so much. You don't have to be a biologist or a geneticist to know that children inherit DNA from their parents and they therefore resemble their parents in looks and in character and sometimes even in mannerisms. So when Jesus links being a, pace, a peacemaker to being called a child of God, he's revealing something to us about God. 1 Thessalonians 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. He is the God of peace. It is as much his disposition as it is something that he enables and enacts. If I am a child of God, I should be as he is. I should bear a likeness to him. But resembling God alone, the Bible tells us, does not qualify us to be called children of God. John 1, 12, 
But to all who believed in him, Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we became the child of our parents, we inherited their DNA and thus we resemble them. And when we become a child of God, we inherit his spiritual DNA. The Bible tells us we are new creations and we begin a journey of becoming more and more like him. And God is a peacemaker. We highlighted earlier that God is all about relationship. Everyone in this room has experienced times in relationship where peace lacked. Am I right? Yeah. If you haven't yet, you will. God would not have called us to be peacemakers if there wasn't going to be times in our lives where we were going to need to make peace with others. Have you ever, um, when it comes to, oh, sorry, conflict is inevitable in relationship. It's inevitable. But for a peacemaker, conflict is an opportunity to strengthen and to deepen relationships. And strong, trustworthy relationships are blessings in our lives. When it comes to peace in relationships, we can be either passive or we can be active. A passive approach to being a peacemaker. Peacemakers don't address conflict. They just avoid it at all costs. Peacemakers walk on eggshells around people. Sorry, peacekeepers. Thank you. Peacekeepers walk on eggshells around people. They won't do anything or say anything or be anything that's going to upset anyone or ruffle any feathers. Sometimes there's certain people in our lives that we tend to be a peacekeeper around. Have you ever tried to live like that? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible and the relationships tend to be superficial at best. Now, we absolutely should be mindful of how we are with others, no question. But so often we can do everything right and we still manage to hurt people. We still manage to offend. So peacemaking needs to be active and intentional. Now, not every conflict should be resolved or will be resolved, rather. And not every relationship will or should be reconciled. But what does God say about it? Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And what about this one? Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Remember that last beatitude? Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. In conflict, unforgiveness, contempt, resentment, all sorts of things can can lodge themselves in our hearts and contaminate our hearts. Instead of yielding to them, our aim is to be holy just as he is by making peace with others wherever possible. So through the process of repairing and making peace, we strengthen our relationships. So how do we do it? How do we become peacemakers? Well, it starts with our attitude It moves to our motives, and then it moves to our actions. Let's start there. What's your attitude towards others and relationship? If I hold an attitude towards others that's negative and critical, prideful or vengeful, 
then any attempt at peacemaking that I make is going to fail. But thankfully, we can choose our attitude. A number of years ago, I had a friend come to me and she sat me down and she recounted a conversation that she'd had with another person. And in this conversation, this person had shared with her that I had said some things about her that, that weren't particularly positive, that weren't nice. And having heard them, she felt quite hurt. And as she sat with me, she said, now I don't know what was said, but I thought I should check with you and first hear your side. Now she could have just given me the silent treatment, not answered my text messages or my phone calls, or she could have jumped straight into accusation. But instead she gave me the benefit of the doubt and the opportunity to address the situation. And as it turns out, it was misunderstanding. So the attitude of a peacemaker is one that thinks the best of others. It gives others the benefit of the doubt. It's kind and respectful. It's humble and it's willing to forgive. The saying goes that our attitude determines our altitude. Our relationships will rise above conflict if our attitude allows it. Secondly, our attitudes will determine our motives in peacemaking. So how do I figure out what my motive is? I ask myself the question, what am I hoping to achieve by addressing this issue with this person? And I've asked myself that question many, many times. It's before any confrontation, it's the, the first question I ask myself. And on more than one occasion, the answer has been, I just really want them to know how much they've hurt me. <laughs> Alarm bell. That is not peacemaking, Amanda. Luckily, just as it is with our attitudes, we can choose to change our motives. 2 Corinthians 5, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. If our motive is to understand and to bring clarity, to reconcile and to heal and to move forward, it's peacemaking. Let's get the band up. So thirdly, a right attitude and a right motive lead to right action. We have to get practical in peacemaking. When William and I, my husband and I, face times of conflict in our marriage, we can't, or at least we don't, just leave it. Who knows that when you leave things unaddressed, they stockpile. They come out in all sorts of ways. So sure, there are things in our relationships that we just have to let go of at times. But if something needs to be addressed, it's good to address it. We have to make time for it. We have to talk and we have to listen to each other. We have to forgive and repent. And in as much as we can, we find a solution. As Philippians says, looking not just to our own interests, but to the interest of the other. So the beauty of peacemaking is that where peace is disrupted, but repaired, even greater peace comes. So we are peacemakers in attitude, we are peacemakers in motive, and we're peacemakers in action. They will be called the children of God. The Beatitudes teach us many things, not least of which 
is that what we see, that to see God is to know God and to be positioned to receive great blessing. But more than that, our relationship with him positions us to be great blessings in other people's lives. As he changes our heart, as we become more and more like him, we have that opportunity to pass the blessing on. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.